0: Hey, this is Pastor Spencer with Racine Bible Church. You're listening to a sermon from a Sunday morning. We are we are so thankful for the choir and the orchestra and they minister to us today especially in a in a powerful way. It's my joy this morning to open God's word and to preach the good news of God's grace with us in Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior. We'll be opening to two places One in Luke chapter two and one in Ephesians chapter two. And if you don't have a Bible, there's usually a Bible in one of the chairs in front of you. And if you don't know your way around the Bible, today is a great day to begin to figure that out. We would love to open the word of God with you and show you. So the book of Luke is in the New Testament. It's probably about two thirds of the way through the Bible. And then Ephesians is just past that. It's one of the letters in the New Testament. And it's my joy this morning to give a brief, but hopefully clear message about the grace of God in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Church wasn't meant by God to be one more place where I argue with you about what I think about things and you argue with me about what you think about things. We certainly don't always get this right, but God's design for the church is that it would be the one place where everybody is united in receiving what God has said about things. And it's always with our Bibles open that we approach the truth and the gospel and I intend to be accountable for all that I say to what is revealed in scripture. So we ask God to help us and we read God's word together. So let's pray asking God for his help. Lord Jesus, you call us to be fishers of men. We do not want to labor in vain this day. We do not wish to catch nothing. Lord Jesus, show us, show me how to cast the net of your word. By your holy words, enclose the souls in that net that they may not escape who you are and what you've revealed. Lord, now bring in a multitude of souls, a net bursting with souls for the glory of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, amen. Amen. Luke chapter two reveals the angels revealing the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior to the shepherds and those who are gathered. The gospel is this. The gospel is the reality that 2,000 years ago, an invasion took place. Not an invasion of destruction from the heavens to the earth, but an invasion of deliverance from the heavens to the earth. Not an not a invasion of subjugation as if aliens from heaven came to subjugate into servitude all those who were on the earth. This invasion was in order to save and in order to liberate those who were on the earth. Because you see, the earth, though it was created good by God, was degraded and corrupted and enslaved because women and men had sinned against God. And we needed to be liberated from the consequences of those sins. We need to be saved to enter back into the life that God called us to. So in this gospel invasion, heaven came to earth in the person of Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior. And while he was here on the earth, he lived the perfect life that you and I could never live. He never sinned. And because he loves us, Jesus Christ took the penalty of our sin when he died in our place as our substitute on the cross. So that all those who are in Christ Jesus, now we get to be treated Like Jesus deserves to be treated by God as perfectly righteous and as citizens of heaven, as children of God. This is because not only did Jesus pay for those sins, but after his death, Jesus was buried. And after three days, Jesus was no longer buried. Not because somebody dug him up and moved his body, but because he got up and walked out of the tomb. So that those who are in Jesus now have that kind of resurrection and eternal life. This story is revealed in a kind of ahead of time shadowy way in the Old Testament. And it's revealed with crystal clarity in the New Testament. I'll show you two places, Luke chapter 2 and then Ephesians chapter 2. First, Luke chapter 2 beginning in verse 8. Luke 2, 8. In the same region... and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Did you notice the contrast between verse 11 and verse 12? Look at the words of verse 11. Christ, the Savior, the Lord, And look at verse 12, a baby wrapped up in blankets. We never get over this contrast. It's the great theme of the songs that the orchestra plays and the choir sings and the carols that we sing together. It's the great theme of Christian preachers who preach the gospel in December in pulpits all over, not just the U.S., but all over the world. It's this contrast that he's infinite and yet an infant. How do you put words to that contrast? That he is almighty God and yet he's carried around by a young mom. This contrast that he opens his hand and satisfies the needs and desires of everything in the world and yet he's craving the milk from his mother because he's hungry. How do we put the fact that the Ancient of Days who always was has a birthday in Bethlehem? How do you put together that he's Christ the Lord and a baby? See this happened because the second person of the triune God, God the Son, invaded from heaven to the earth. This is the good news of the gospel invasion that the second person of the triune God, the son of God, that he became an embryo and then a born baby and then a young toddler and then a teenager and then a man. Why would he do this? He did this because we could not get to God. So God invaded from heaven into humanity to get to us. Where Adam failed, Christ stood. Where Israel failed, Christ stood. Where you and I have failed as sinners, Christ the sinless one took our place. This is why Jesus came and it's why it is said that he is a savior who is Christ the Lord. Luke 2 introduces you to the story of this baby. I'd like you to turn to one other place. It's a few pages past Luke. It's in Ephesians chapter 2. And this shows us sort of the meaning of the story. Luke 2 just shows the the film of the story. And then the epistles of the New Testament, like Ephesians 2, those are where spirit-anointed teachers, the apostles, show the the meaning of all of these facts of history. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. If you see with your eyes, the next word is a contrast, and then the one who makes the contrast. The next two words in verse four are but God. But let's stop with verses one through three just for a moment and settle for a second on the the bad part of the message, the sin part of the message. That's what Ephesians two, one through three talks about. It says, not only are you in sin, but you're dead, immobile, unable to hoist yourself out of your sin. It says that you're walking, you're active, but you're dead. What is sin and how does it impact us and affect us? One way to define sin is that sin is any word or thought or deed that is contrary to the love of God. Sin is you going your own way instead of the way that God has told you to go. Why is sin so serious? churches like ours take sin seriously. God takes sin seriously as seriously as hell. Why is sin so serious? Well, sin is so serious for one reason, because God's so good and so holy. But did you know that a second reason that sin is so serious is because people, men and women, are so uh, important or dignified, or we could say especially created? That's what makes sin so serious. That's why sin matters so immensely and so intensely. That's why hell is what it is. Because God is so powerful and God created one particular part of creation to be an image, a reflection of him. And that's us, humanity, men and women. So I don't exactly know how to put it, And I'm in good company because Christian philosophers and theologians have put it in a couple of different ways all through the ages, but you could sort of think of uh, creation as maybe humanity, and then so to speak, if you want, you could say angels kind of have this little bit of special place above us atmospherically, and then you could say that plants and animals, you could say, have this lower place underneath us. And there are different ways of putting it. You could say that it's spiritual existence and material existence. Some theologians say that, it's a, say that it's a natural existence and historical existence. In other words, think of it like this. The other things that God created, the dogs, the cats, the zebras, even the plants, They have a natural existence. They have a material existence. It's a little bit of a mystery, but it could be maybe said that angels don't have a a physical existence. They have this spiritual existence. They can take on bodies and we can see them like like in the narrative. But it's uniquely the man and the woman that inhabit both of these realms. That is, we have involuntary, reflexive, physical reactions because we are material, breathe from the dust, but we also make consequential choices that influence our eternity and that influence all the others around us. See, God made man and woman in his image and what we do matters. Christian philosopher and mathematician, Uh, Blaise Pascal, he said that that man is unique because man and woman are simultaneously heroic and wretched. Man is unique because man alone is capable of thinking about the wretchedness of his existence. Hmm. See, man is capable of noble and wonderful thoughts and deeds, and yet man and woman also perform horrible actions unworthy of the slimiest animals. And the unique part of humanity's greatness is that we can use our God-given faculties of a heart and a spirit and a soul and a conscience to recognize our baseness and our ignobility and what we've lost. The human heart can be racked with guilt and the human heart can long to be something and better than it is. This is evidence of the image of God within us. That's why sin is so serious. So how do we deal with sin? If you would guess that as a pastor, part of my job is helping people deal with their sin, that would be a correct guess. I spend some time just laughing with people and just enjoying life with people, but I guess maybe more than others, I I spend a lot of time working with people who kind of avoided coming to me, but then they came to me when they really, really, really needed some kind of God help in their life. And one thing that I've noticed in helping people deal with sin is there maybe more ways than I could count, but I could kind of summarize them in two different ways. Some people deal with their sin by the denial of repression. And some people deal with their sin by the devastation of Depression. First, the denial of repression. You know what I mean. They just ignore it. They just medicate it. <laughs> they just drink it away. They just entertain themselves away. They just numb it. They pretend it isn't there and they avoid it and they don't deal with it. The denial of repression. But also, have you ever had the hard time of trying to help somebody who was in the devastation of depression? Because they really did do bad things and they really were suffering the consequences of those bad things and they became paralyzed, even immobilized in those consequences. It's so sad. But you know, the Christian gospel provides a better way. We stopped in verse three and I warned you to look ahead at the next two words of verse four. Let's read through the rest of it. You see, it says that we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. So Ephesians 2, instead of skipping over the sin part by just repressing it, and instead of stopping at the end of verse 3 and just getting stuck in the lethargy and depression of sin, it deals with it. And it says, but God who's rich in mercy, he deals with our sin by offering us salvation by grace through faith. Look at verse six, and God raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith and this is not your own doing, it's the gift of God not a result of works so that no one may boast for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The Christian gospel, the invasion of heaven to earth is that Christ, Jesus, heaven's sinless one would invade into the earth to save the sinful sons of earth by taking our place so that he could bring us to heaven through his life and death and resurrection. What is the only response to this gospel that's worthy of being deemed a response by God is to receive it by faith. What does faith mean? Well, faith definitely means more than just hearing about it. Faith isn't like writing down the right answer on a test at school. Faith, saving faith, is more like finding the person in your class at school who you wanna spend the rest of your life with. It's more than just getting some content right. It's more like a covenant relationship. Becoming a Christian isn't like uh, dropping some coins in a toll booth to get through to heaven. Becoming a Christian is more like dropping a ring on a finger in a marriage. You see, to become a Christian is to say to Jesus, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. Would you have mercy and grace upon me? And it is to fall into the arms of Jesus Christ. And once you're a Christian, Jesus will hold you lovingly in his arms forever. Because of his grace, because of his mercy, because he's Jesus. What's the right response to the gospel? Could I give you three words to think about? Turn, trust, and treasure. First, turn. This is the big Bible word repent. This means that we're going our own way and we turn and go God's way. This means that we are wandering away in unbelief and we turn towards saving faith. This means that we're living in selfishness and denial and now we begin to deny ourself and follow Jesus. Turn, second word, trust. This means to believe the gospel, to receive this message, to believe that it's true. And like I said, it's not like getting the answer right in a quiz in your class at school. It's like finding the right person who you want to spend the rest of your life with. It's that kind of trust. And then third and finally, treasure. And this, this third point, technically I'd say kind of how regeneration and the ordo salutis works, the, this third point of treasure is not really a third point. It is the inevitable outgrowth of the first two points. If the first two points are true, then you will, you will treasure, and love the Lord Jesus Christ. Because living trees do what? They bear fruit. They bear fruit. If Jesus is who he says he is, and he's done that for you, well, then of course, sin's gonna become ugly, and becoming like Jesus is gonna, gonna become attractive. Church, let me show you one more thing out of verse seven and eight, and then I'll, and then we'll, we'll sing some more. But let me show you one more thing that I would challenge you to think about. Verse seven and eight. Why does God do this? Now, there's a question I'll probably never get to the bottom of. Why did God save us? But verses seven and eight say, God saved us so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Don't miss that. And do not sleep on that. Answer the question, why did God save us? Ephesians 2, 7 says, so that in the coming ages, he could show the immeasurable riches of his grace toward us in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? It means that God has grace. And the only way to describe how much grace God has is what? Immeasurable, immeasurable riches. But Ephesians chapter 2, verse 7 If you think this through, and I would challenge you to think this through, even talk about at the table today, it says that uh, it's like God doesn't want all that money to be stuck in the bank forever. He has a plan to demonstrate it. He's going to pull it out and lavish it on his children forever. And it's going to take forever to do that. It's almost as if the purpose of heaven and age upon age and eternal age is nothing less than this. So that God can demonstrate every day, even when there are no more days and there's only eternity, how immeasurable is the power of his grace in Jesus Christ. That's why eternal life is eternal. And that's why he saved us. Let that sink in. I... I, I, I don't want you to think, if you're not a Christian this morning, I really don't want you to think that all I'm doing is saying, um, come to Jesus and he'll help you with your life. Though if you come to Jesus, he will help you with your life, but that's not how it works. The invasion is far more radical than that. When you come to Jesus, you realize that you never had life without him. And when you come to Jesus, he gives you for the first time the very life of God. And you spend the rest of eternity understanding and indwelling how good, how merciful, how gracious, how holy God is. Will you turn? Will you trust? And will you treasure the Lord Jesus? Let me pray for you. We bow for prayer. Just give you a moment to pray and if you're not a Christian, I would invite you to say, God, I don't know everything that I ought to do, but I am convinced that I'm a sinner and that Jesus Christ is the Savior. God, would you help me turn from the way I'm going to Jesus. And God, would you help me trust and believe every word that is written in your holy word, the Bible. And God, would you help me treasure the riches of the grace of God in Christ Jesus as Savior and Lord. And if you're here and you are a Christian, I would encourage you to take a moment to pray for those you know and love who are not turning and trusting and treasuring Jesus yet. And take a moment and praise the Savior who embodies the very immeasurable riches of the grace of God. Heavenly Father, hear your children as they pray. And by the power of your spirit and regeneration, give those gathered here the right to be called the sons and daughters of God through regeneration and the gift of eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Amen. To find out more about our ministry, contact us at racinebible.org. Thank you for listening.